This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. A surprising number of questions for one of today's panel. Uh, Chris, can it just be a 50-minute Ellis monologue? Henry, I know this might be a bit of a random one, but does Ellis have any strong opinions on Wales going to the World Cup? Jake, will Ellis be giving his thoughts via text to speak? There's no way he's going to have any voice left. Mike, not sure I'd be more excited for a pod. Will Ellis James be alive and well for it? Let's find out. This is the Guardian Football Weekly. There is a panel today, I'd largely say in supporting roles. Jonathan Wilson, welcome. Morning, how are you doing? Uh, very good. Troy Townsend, hello. Good morning, Max. Uh, Michael says, I would be listening anyway, but I can feel myself getting emotional listening to Ellis already. I, 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 in the intro, Ellis, I didn't mean to ramp up the pressure on you, but you get a World Cup wall chart with a Welsh flag on it. How, how, does, it, how does it feel? I cried during the anthem. I cried during a Malheed. I cried when the goal went in. And then I cried at the final whistle (laughs) and I thought I was all cried out. And then I saw Jonathan's wry smile when I logged onto the Zoom and I've started to cry again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Head is in his his hands. Um, Robin says, is this the best moment of Ellis James's life? I was talking about this. I think it has to be the quarterfinal because... That semi, as I walked to the ground, I remember thinking we are 90 minutes from a, the final of a major tournament and it was nil-nil at half-time. And, I th- and there was something about that team, there was something about that summer that I actually thought we were going to do it until I realised after we were playing in the slate grey and lime green top that we'd never won a game in. So clearly the footballing gods had decided that it wasn't going to be our day. But there is something about the World Cup that just is. And it's the one we've come so close to to qualifying for so many times and it was it was it was in, it was interesting actually because in the last 10 minutes having been to the Romania game in 93 and having been to the sort of the Russia playoff Euro 2004 and the Ireland game in 2017 when there's something that you've wanted for so long and the players have worked so hard for and you can feel it slipping away and it wasn't slipping away and Ben Davis kept making heroic block after heroic block and Wayne Hennessy is the Bumaris Lev Yashin. And, you know, they, they said there was five minutes of extra time. And I thought, I've added time. I thought, we, I think it's going to be fine. And then when the final whistle blew, the relief around the ground. I've, I've, 
because we didn't qualify for 2016 in this way. We did qualify for 2020 in this way because we beat Hungary 2-0 and Rambo sublime that night. But obviously, we'd, we'd got to the Euros, uh, the tournament before. So it was, it was just, it was a lot of new feelings. As someone who'd imagined it an awful lot for about just over 30 years, Things like David Iwan singing a song in Welsh that's about the survival of the Welsh language, the Welsh nation that he wrote in the wake of Thatcher winning the 83 election. You know, Welsh is spoken, oh, I think at the 2011 census, it was about 20% of the population, but, you know, the, the figures vary. To hear the whole ground sing that and see Gareth Bale sing it, who's not a Welsh speaker, Ramsey is and Joe Allen is and Ben Davis is, but, but Bale isn't. And I don't think Conor Roberts is, and he loves that song, and Gunter certainly is, and he loves that song. They were the ones who requested David to sing it prior to the Austria game. To see everyone sing and to hear the whole ground sing, it just means that it's a cultural moment and not just a sporting moment. So, <laughs> and I also bumped into a lot of Wales Away veterans. I talked to one, um, Denmark Away in 87 was his first one. I mean, so many failed campaigns. <laughs> so many failed campaigns. And it's it's just this huge relief. And um, I did the Today programme just now, and they asked me how I thought we'd get on. And I said, I don't care. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the important thing, really. It's It'll, it'll probably be Bale's last hurrah. But again, I mean, I don't know what the panel think of this. He never gives anything away of himself. You don't actually know very much about Gareth Bale. You know that he went to school with Garrett Kieran Thomas, the Tour de France winner, and Sam Warburton, the British Lion. He likes to play golf. That's pretty much it. So I don't know. I don't know what his plans are. I couldn't tell you. But uh, I mean, he'll he'll carry on until uh, November. That you, we can be certain of that. And I read Jonathan's piece, which I thought was tremendous in the paper, about how even now, in in the sort of final chapter of his career, he still he's not the player he was. But he just makes things happen. And we're so lucky to have him. I just can't, can't, can't believe it. So it's just a 50-minute monologue. This is great. Two things <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. This also, no, 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 it's perfect. One is, when asked, what was this the greatest moment of your life? You instantly could only decide between this and another footballing moment. It's clearly nothing to do with <laughs> kids, you know, getting married, all those things. Oh, my God. I like the please, idea of the... Please don't do that. I did that. <laughs> there wasn't even... You didn't even pause for thought. It was like, oh, this was 2016. The other is, I like the idea of the Today programme of saying, I don't care, and, you know, John Humphreys or whatever, having pressing you and just um, asking you the same question over and over again. I would say I would say that I would say that the, the birth of my children stands on a different <laughs> pedestal to, to football. Um like I don't Although actually yeah, yeah, I'm okay. gonna defend myself. No I do. I don't know if I don't know if you agree with this Max. When my when my daughter was born I two children a son and a daughter a daughter and uh, and a young son. When my daughter was born, first born sort of seven years ago I felt elation that it had all gone okay, but then I felt extreme anxiety <laughs> yeah. that I was just going to be the worst dad ever. And I remember the nurse said, you need to put a vest on this baby because it's cold in here. And I couldn't do it because <laughs> I, I thought I was going to rip her head off because so fr- she'd only been alive 15 seconds. And I couldn't do it. I remember thinking, oh my God, if you can't get the vest right... <laughs> <laughs> what, what chance have you got I, yeah, with I think, puberty and all I, that stuff? I think I think football is a much easier thing to nego- to sort of navigate in terms of joy and and you know I think the birth of your child to be honest was an out of body experience and at that stage 
I was still thinking, I don't know if I, I don't know if I really want this or not. When Cambridge United win, like, get promoted, or like England gets the final, I know I want that, right? It's an absolute given. It's not, it's not like there are no grey areas. <laughs> when, when Aaron Ramsey scored those two goals against Hungary to qualify for 2020, I didn't think, oh God, now I'm going to have to get him through his tricky teenage years. <laughs> It was just great. We get to go to the Euros again. Mark says, are the lifelong England fans on the pod today, like me, just a little bit jealous of Wales fans, their noise, their anthem, their passion and their pride on and off the pitch? Troy, are you you jealous? I'm just so glad to have a question. I'd like to be able to answer a question (laughs) to be totally honest at this stage because (laughs) I was actually enjoying just listening to Ellis and and the emotion that he's showing already. Um, Sorry, Max, what was the question again? I can't even remember. It doesn't look... That's 10 seconds of you. You'll have more time later. Um, <laughs> uh, Wilson, you were there. The atmosphere. I mean, we'll go back to Ellis for another 15 minutes. Yeah. In a second. Can, I, can I just come up? I am getting the full fee for this, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't, <laughs> worry. Don't worry. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, yeah, I would say I am jealous of it. It's the thing I, I often think as a Sunderland fan looking at fans of, of Liverpool or, or Manchester City or Manchester United, and how they never seem particularly happy. They're always just sort of angry because they expect success. And I sort of, th- I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not as bothered by England as I am by, by Sunderland. But I think being a fan of a, a smaller club or a smaller country, you get these moments more more rarely, but they're that much more special when they do happen. Uh, but that, the whole occasion yesterday was great. You know, I've, I think last time I was on, I, sort of, I, was, I was talking about how I, sort of, I felt quite disillusioned about the whole thing. The Champions League final was, was an awful experience. Um, looking ahead to Qatar... I, you know, the, the nature of that World Cup and, and, and talking about having been in Hyundai you know, the day after the same disaster and having to sort of go around the hospitals and everything. And so I said, you know, I just wanted to end. But actually, this is what it is about. And it was, there's a great sense of, you know, it wasn't just about Wales, it was also about Ukraine. There's this great sense of, of mutual respect. And there was that lovely moment at the end when I think probably it happened, it happened sort of organically because the Ukraine players had gone to their fans then the Wales players went to the Ukraine players and that meant they were in front of Ukraine fans and they applauded the Ukraine fans and that was a great moment. So it was this great sense of positive patriotism on, on both sides and sort of mutual respect and the fact that uh, the Wales fans applauded uh, the Ukrainian anthem, the fact that when uh, Daphne Wan was there before kickoff, the Ukraine fans were all holding their flags up at the same time. It, it was just a, you know, just a great occasion. Uh, Jono says, can Ellis please tell us in punishing detail how much he loves each player in the squad? (laughs) (laughs) Ramsey missed a bit of a sitter right at the start of the second half. And 2-0 would have really settled this. And I, I, you know, I had my head in my hands, like all football fans do when those chances are missed. And then I thought, Aaron, we've been through too much for me to hold this against you. (laughs) He's he's my favourite. But Nico Williams, who is, I think, he's our real next, uh, he's, an, he's the next real talent. And he had a cracking season at Fulham, because uh, obviously he's a Liverpool player, but he was on loan at Fulham. I thought he was tremendous. I thought Ben Davis was fantastic. Wayne Hennessy, the, the Bumaris Leviashin, where did that come from? I mean, because Danny Ward is now really our official number one, but Wayne played in the um, in the semi-final against Austria, so Rob kept him in. And also, he's immensely uh, experienced. He's got over 100 caps. Wayne, just, just stop after stop after stop. And 
you don't often get the feeling that it's your night uh, when, as Jonathan said, you support, you know, a smaller country. I think the, I think the difference between Wales and England is that we have no expectations, which means that it's just a party then. So when you win, it's great. And when you lose, well, it's sort of to be expected. Obviously, you know, we, we expect it to be Andorra in qualifying for Euro 2016, for instance. But in the main, our expectation levels are very low. So you just enjoy it in a completely different way. I, I've always wondered what it must be like to be German, to actually expect to win World Cups and European Championships. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to fathom. But yeah, that, that team also, they, they love it. And, and the thing with international football, it's a sort of slightly derided form of the game in that you're told that the players don't take it as seriously and that the players don't care as much. And certainly with this, and I think that's probably true for some Wales players in the past, um, we've had Wales players who should have been great for every single one of their caps because they weren't Premier League players, retiring early. And you think... I mean, obviously, I've never played for Bob Wales, but I'm, I haven't retired. <laughs> they could call me up at any time. But this group of players just absolutely love it. And it's something that's carried on now into the Rob Page era. And our second string, our second 11, played very well against Poland. And lucky to lose, I thought, out in uh, Poland in the Nations League on Wednesday night. So you just think that there's the sort of the future, that the future's bright, really. I, uh, I, I, I couldn't be happier. I could be more articulate, but I couldn't be happier. No, that's. That's fine. Um, you, it's interesting you call it the Rob Page era. Is that how people see it now? Because he's done such a brilliant job. Yeah, he? and um, the players seem to love him. Um, I think. I think obviously it's a very tricky situation. I think Giggs is still in contract until the end of the World Cup, until the end of the World Cup cycle. Um, I think his court case is in August. But I mean, this is Rob Page's team now. You know, he wasn't really setting the managerial world alight prior to managing Wales. But you know, n- neither was Gary at Sheffield United before Gary Speed took over. So you can't call it, can you? And um, yeah, he's also he's also he's he's great at press and he really gets it and he's very good at talking about you know what it means to the fans and stuff. So yeah, I'm just just delighted with the way it's working out. Um, Stephen says Bale and Ramsey no club, but train well and no injury to the World Cup or get a club and be match fit, but receive inevitable metatarsal injury and miss World Cup. What what do you? What do you think they're both going to do? I don't know. I mean, Rangers don't want Aaron. Juve don't. So he's looking for a club. Gareth, I mean, who knows? I mean, he is he is continually linked with Cardiff City. But again, he never says any of this stuff. And he never he doesn't feed it. And he doesn't really respond to it. So he's sort of his agent as he's talking for him. You would want them to be playing, but playing a little bit. <laughs> sort of what he was doing at Madrid is kind of perfect, really. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it would be horrendous if they got injured and were unable to play. But, I, I you know, he's linked. Gareth in particular is linked with the MLS. He's, people have talked about going back to Tottenham, going to Newcastle. I just don't know. Um, I mean, he's earned enough money. He could, if wages are a sticking point, you have to, you have to wonder what's going on there because he's a multi multi-millionaire but um I just I don't know because he he keeps his cards so close to his chest I think what I want is for him to go to a club who see him as a sort of Rolls Royce that they drive every other Sunday and he might play sort of maybe maybe half an hour a month <laughs> between between now and November 
I mean, I, I, I sort of feel bad to ask you this question this morning, but we've talked about it so much about what do we do? How do we support this World Cup? What are we doing? It almost feels easier for England fans to go, oh, I can sort of dip into this one and out. But you haven't been to a World Cup since 1958. We just, I discussed this in the pub prior to the game. And I think it's unfair that football supporters are asked to make these moral you know, us to have these moral discussions and are faced with these moral quandaries. I mean, one of the things actually that settled the nerves in the pub prior to the game was Qatar's so difficult to get to. Um, a lot of the hotels haven't been built, <laughs> which is which is an ideal. I think I think the upshot of if you decided not to go for ethical reasons is I think watching it in, in Wales will be just as much fun. It is a shame. You know, I I would love this tournament to be Germany in 2024 because that's absolutely perfect. You know, Germany is very accessible and the football culture is great over there. It is, it is, you know, it does taint it, but I think that is an argument for tomorrow um, rather than an argument for today because I've got I've got a few months to decide how I feel about that. I think. Whereas at the moment, I just, I'm so delighted, I'm so elated that the players have got their own merit um, that I just, I can't really think objectively about anything else. Um, how pleased were you when it said, check complete, when Joe Allen walloped Yarmolenko in the box? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... What did you think of the refereeing of the refereeing performance yesterday to the to the panel? Because I thought he was quite he was quite card happy. I thought. Yeah, I must admit, I thought he was he was almost playing up to the game, um, and yeah, decided that he wanted to be in control and and I get it sometimes, but the the enormity of the game, I think he wanted to be the person in control and and you know take away Wales and Ukraine and just have me on the pitch almost. Um, but I, I find the decision remarkable, remarkable that that is not given as a pen first off and then on the 15 times that they probably watched it on VAR as well. I find it remarkable that we bring in this this new video system and it cannot identify that that is a pen. It's a foul. It's a foul blatantly. Um, my heart was in my mouth. I've got no connection to Wales whatsoever. Um, I did search once they qualified yesterday to see if there was just a minute bit that maybe I could be Welsh, but no, <laughs> it wasn't there. Um, but my heart was in my mouth because it's, it's, you know, you've got to praise Yarmolenko for the way that he crept around the back, toe-poked the ball, and, you know, Alan thinks he's striking the ball out of play or up the field, doesn't he? Um, and he catches him. It's a free kick anywhere else on the field of play. It's not a booking. You say, I oh, know it was an accident. I'm, you know, never mind, you know, get on with it. But that is a pen. Um, and I don't know what we're doing with this system again. Because I actually thought those that booking for Allen was a yellow card. And then Dan James did <laughs> run right up to the referee and say, fuck oh, off Dan. in his face, which Please, arguably is a straight Dan. red, you know, in, in, in Sunday League. But I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you think, Wilson. Yeah, I mean, Mateo Lajos has got a sort of reputation for being sort of the Spanish Mike Dean. And he de- like, I think those 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 first two yellow cards, which is what, the second minute, third minute, I, I thought they were they were right. But then there was a... I can't even remember. Uh, was was a Ukrainian player got booked, I don't know, after about half an hour for basically just sort of an arm in the chest that was just a totally standard kind of, 
you know, I don't even think it was a foul. Just sort of, you know, two players jostling for the ball. It's a contact sport, ref. It's a contact sport. <laughs> um, I mean, but did both coaches end up getting booked as well? Yeah, well, Rob Page uh, and, and certainly yeah. the, the Ukrainian got 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 spoken to. I can't remember if he actually got booked or not. So yeah, it was it was a very sort of uh, look at me performance. And then you know he got the big decision wrong, which uh, yeah, as with John Moss in the uh, playoff final, you could say, well, you know, it's not really his fault. You can understand why he didn't see that, but I don't, I don't get, I, I just don't, yeah, I just don't understand how Barr is not giving that because our reaction in the press box as soon as we saw the first replay was, ah, oh dear. Yeah, I like there's nobody thinking. Oh, this is fifty-fifty. Everyone's like, ah, oh. yeah. And I admit, the I was thinking, ah, oh, because I didn't want to have to sit through extra time and penalties and maybe miss my train. <laughs> and, and I certainly didn't want to have to queue outside Cardiff Station in the rain, which was torrential all afternoon. But still, I was thinking, ah. Oh. And then suddenly, it's like, oh no, he's yeah. let him off. Even even you know when when Welsh co-coms are like yeah i think they're i think they're gonna have a look at that you're like okay that's that's probably a penalty um we should talk about ukraine because what they the the it's sort of extraordinary what they achieved right given that you know over half that team hadn't played competitive football apart from the scotland game since, since sort of this year and, and i don't know if this is nonsense i tweeted this last night and maybe it is but i sort of sense the conflict in ukraine is going down the news cycle we are less bothered about it today than we were when it on day one of the invasion, and it's no different for the people sort of suffering there. And had they qualified, and we who knows what the conflict would be like in in November. But every time they play, it brings it back to the public consciousness, and and I feel desperately for those fans and those players, and for the and for the whole country, obviously. But I just think that is something that when the World Cup starts, we won't be thinking about Ukraine and Russia as much as. Perhaps we would if they were there. Does that make any sense? I've never watched a football match in that emotional or political context before. It was absolutely extraordinary. And I saw the Zinchenko press conference prior to the Scotland game where he talked about what it would mean to the Ukrainian people. And he was saying, I've, I've been talking to people at home and they were telling me that they have two dreams. The first dream is that Putin stops bombing us. And the second dream is that we qualify for the World Cup. And, you know, it, it does put 64 years of her and George Jordan's handball, all of that kind of stuff, into a completely different context. And I've just, I've, I've never watched football in that scenario before. I felt, I felt desperately sorry for them. I was looking over at the supporters um, opposite where I was in the Canton stand. I felt desperately so sorry for them. I think the difference is, I've read articles in the press asking for a, Asking for you know Ukraine to be um, to qualify at our expense of them to be given a buy, it is ultimately a, a sporting contest, and those players wouldn't have wanted that. The players wanted to get their own merit. There's a bit in there's a bit in fever pitch when Nick Hornby talks about watching Arsenal play during the first war in Iraq, the the first Gulf War, and he says he'd never seen you know Arsenal play with his country at war before, and it's 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 one of those things where it brings politics crashing into the scenario and into the theater that where we where we get most escapism and you couldn't you couldn't escape reality last night i mean you know we, there were lots of ukrainian flags in the welsh in the welsh end and all that kind of stuff and yeah it would it just if it felt it felt bigger than football yesterday hmm. and actually wilson that's one of the interesting things that i've doing the radio the last couple of days and talking to sort of ukrainian football experts but talking about what 
this little, even these two games have meant to people who are in bomb shelters at the moment, you know, and, and you know, Ellis mentioned escapism. And that's that sort of, that thing that we're all trying to work out is like what football means and, and how important it is and whether it means anything or nothing or everything. And and I guess, and I think you you put something about that in your column as well. It it, it, it is interesting that even those Ukrainians, you know, who are, who are just under the ground waiting to be bombed are desperately trying to watch this football match. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of means whatever you want it to mean. That uh, it, it can be an escapism. I think from Ukraine's point of view, just playing, just sort of being there with the flag, with the anthem, is is significant. It's saying you are still part of this sort of greater global culture in a way that Russia now isn't. Had they won, had they gone to the World Cup, I mean, you, you're right to the extent that um, it you know, would have kept Ukraine forefront of our consciousness. I mean, they, they are still in the Nations League and they are playing Scotland and Ireland and Armenia, I think, in that. So, you know, as, as British broadcasters, we're still going to have plenty of opportunities to talk about Ukraine, and, and we probably should should take those opportunities. Um, but realistically, they, they could win the World Cup, and if if Russia conquers Ukraine next January, it doesn't matter at all. So, and it, it also, yeah, puts Wales in a horrible position, the position of being the bad guys. It isn't their fault at all. So I, I think you have to sort of... Uh, it would have been absurd for Ukraine to be sort of given the pass. And, and as Ella says, I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't have wanted that. Yeah, there's no reason for Wales to be punished for for that. But I, I, and I think that was what was so um, uplifting about last night, was there was this sort of positive patriotism and there was this mutual respect. And, and that's, that's as it should be. And I, you know, I, I was even willing to forgive the half dozen or maybe a dozen Ukrainian fans who sang drunken folk songs all the way back on the train as I was trying to sleep, and I didn't. I didn't point out, like lads, it's a it's a quiet yeah. coach. Do you, <laughs> <is> he... <laughs> probably wasn't. Probably wasn't the moment. Um, Ellis, we we uh, we have to let you go to the dentist. What a way to celebrate! Yeah, I've got a skin and polish. Uh, root canal five. work uh, just to make you feel better. <laughs> you can think of Ben Davis' heroic blocks as the drill goes in. Do you have any final thoughts? There is a purity to international football that means that. When the smaller countries do qualify, it is such it is such a pure, perfect feeling of joy. And I wanted last night, I've wanted last night for a very long time, so I'm very glad it's happened. But thank you for having me on the pod. My teeth are going to absolutely sparkle in about 45 minutes' time. Anyway, <laughs> thank you very much. See you, mate. Um, uh, Ellis James there, and that'll do for part one. Uh, we'll be back talking... Trying to sound as engaged as England's pretty average performance away at Hungary as we can do in just a second. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. 
Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, the live tour is, uh, uh, what, two weeks away? A week away? I think it's exactly a week today. Yes, it is. Monday, the 13th of June, me, Wilson, Barry, John Bruin are in Leeds uh, on the 15th. Uh, me, Barry, John Bruin and Jordan Jarrett Bryan are in Birmingham. Uh, in Manchester, me, Philippe, Barry and A.N. Other. Lars Sivertson has pulled out through injury, um, but it will be a Galactico uh, to replace him. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, I believe, is joining us in, uh, in Dublin. Is this correct, Wilson? Is this confirmed yet? Nothing is yet confirmed. Nothing is yet confirmed, but... If Lars is out, then hopefully Wilson will be in for Dublin, 4th and 5th of July. Troy, you're coming to the Hackney Empire. Um, uh, and so are you, Jonathan Wilson, along with Nikki Bandini and Barry on Friday, the 8th of July. Then me, Barry Ellis, uh, Barney Ronnie Sid Lowe on the Saturday. And then the tour finishes on the 13th of July. Me, Barry, Philippe, Eau And you again, Jonathan Wilson. God, getting book- booked a lot, Wilson, aren't you? Go to myticket.co.uk. And uh, there are still a tiny number of tickets available and more of those in Birmingham. Um, it's so echoey in Birmingham. It's going to echo. Anyway, uh, we've, I've got some filming to do this, some secret filming to do this week uh, for the live tour, which I'm slightly wary about doing. But anyway, it's all for a good cause. Uh, Troy, look, uh, now Ellis has gone. You said in that little break, oh, we haven't actually talked about the game yet. And if we talk a bit more about the Wales game, it means we can talk less about the Hungry England game. So, so what did you want to say? I mean, Ukraine were good in this game, weren't they? No, I, listen, I'll just, yeah, I mean, you, you want to commend the way that Ukraine approached the game, particularly after, you know, the Scot- I felt Scotland were failed to live up to the kind of enormity of the game the other night. And you could say that was the Scottish not performing or underperforming, but actually it was the way that Ukraine dominated and bossed the midfield and, you know, created opportunities at will. Um, and I felt they had the momentum going into this one, you know, a great win in Scotland. They you know, shuffle over to Wales. And I was worried for Wales, to be totally honest, because I felt that Ukraine, you know, the bit between their teeth, obviously the enormity of the game, the expectation and the fans as well, who obviously we've given credit for as well. And I thought they started well, but it was good to see Wales creep into the game. Um, Hennessy, who has been obviously not played much football and you know, I remember Wayne at Palace and he was vilified quite a lot for his performances at Palace, um, which ultimately led him to leave, although he, you know, is a Premier League experienced goalkeeper. Um, and he pulled out probably one of his best 90 minutes or 95 minutes of football um, that he's ever done to secure that victory. But let's not take away the the, the defence who... Yes, you know, Hennessy made nine saves. It's an incredible amount of saves, isn't it? But like you said, Ben Davis at the end there, just putting any part of his limb in the way. You know, Roden, Roden who doesn't get a lot of football, to be totally honest. Uh, Ampadu can't make it at Chelsea. And Nico Williams, who's had to go out to Fulham, um, play well, but, you know, not playing in the Premier League. That's the enormity of what Wales have achieved against a very, very good side. You know, they were dominated for long periods, but they created a lot of opportunities themselves. Um, I don't know what Yarmolenko was doing for the goal. Maybe someone else can explain it to me because I'm not quite sure. Even in dropping back in, the way that he headed it, I think he felt that he was up the other end, 
and was put in Ukraine one nil up. It just seemed it just didn't seem right to me. But he almost made it up, didn't he, by the pen uh, or the lack of a pen. Um, but that second half, end to end, riveting. Um, and yeah, even my heart was in my mouth right near the end. Five minutes seemed far too long for me, and I felt that there was going to be some, you know, deflection that was going to take the ball into the back of the net. But up popped again Wayne Hennessy. Um, great save with about 10 minutes to go, although just after the Welsh had hit the post, Johnson had hit the post, didn't he? And then there was another chance. Bow forced a great save. But it, listen, it, it was a great game for a neutral as well. And yeah, it was it was just a, a really good all-round football match that, you know, one team gets the glory and unfortunately the other one doesn't. I think you've summed it up very well, Troy. I mean, it was a brilliant football match. There was so much of, there was so much, I mean, sometimes with football matches, the context is sort of more than the actual kicking of the ball, Wilson, but it was a really entertaining game. And I suppose you, when there's so much riding on it, perhaps perhaps you watch it differently, I don't know, but it it, it felt like a brilliant football match as well. Yeah, I think it was a great game. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was, yeah, it was my last game of the season. And well, that's a, what it was all about, obviously. Yeah, but it was, what I mean is, it was a, it was a really good that's way what that's to finish. Fo- that folk song is about Jonathan Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it is, isn't it? But yeah, great atmosphere, great occasion, great football, great great drama, great tension. I mean, you sort of felt the last sort of 10 minutes that, that Ukraine weren't going to get the equaliser, um, just because they'd had so many opportunities and hadn't. But, you know, the, the ball was in the box a lot in the last, I mean, you know, the five minutes had added time. And, and yeah, conditions. I don't know how obvious it was on telly, but conditions were were pretty difficult. And and that was the other thing with Hennessy. You know, his his handling in in you know, in very very wet conditions. And there was a, there was a handful of those sort of long range shots, sort of skidded and and you know he, you know, he got behind and, and and held onto them. So his it wasn't just the saves he made. He sort of projected this confidence. Um, and then that, that 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 began really early. So yeah, I I, I thought it was. A really enjoyable game, and and I mean, yeah, Ben Davis was was excellent for Wales. Nico Williams was excellent. The the player who struggled was was Aaron Ramsey, and and you do wonder if he doesn't get more regular football, or you do wonder where he'll get more regular football. You know, if he's if he's not good enough to play that regularly for Rangers, then 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 where can afford him that that will give him regular football leading into the World Cup? And obviously, yeah, his last um, or what one of his last acts in a Rangers shirt was missing the penalty in the. Europa League final. Uh, here to watch us, does the fact English players are having to play in pointless international matches during their only break from football mean we'll still be able to claim they're tired after our exit from the Winter World Cup? Uh, the, the It wasn't a fascinating game. Look, I, I, Some people have said, look, this, this is clearly important for Gareth Southgate, right? He's only got five games before the World Cup. Those games then matter. But I really struggled to get engaged and energised about this game, Troy. That's because there was nothing to get engaged or energised about. Um, from the whistle, first minute, um, and, and, and listen, the Nations League, when it gets to the latter stages and, you know, you get to the the top teams from the top groups and you think to yourself, yeah, this tournament means something because there's still a trophy at the end of it. But it's still they're still glorified friendlies to me. They're still... I, I don't know, not approached in the same way. And, and and having four games at the end of a long season after not a long break the season before, you've got to, want, you've got to wonder, I, I don't know, I know that the diary's packed and I know it's difficult, but it, it's almost like England accepted the defeat without accepting the defeat, by the way. Um, I might be controversial here. I think the pen's a pen. 
Um, Hungary thoroughly deserved the win as far as I'm concerned. I thought England lacked in in so many different areas that could be quite worrying. But then I also think that they'll get up for the game against Germany and, and they'll produce a performance that will make everyone forget about the Hungary game. Um, but there was so much there was there was so much not to like about the performance, which might leave Gareth worried, but the best thing he can do or they can do is put in a performance against Germany that would make us all forget it. I mean, I guess the point is Nations League is better than friendlies, but it still doesn't really matter, right? So it's... Is it? I think it is because you do play teams of, you know, you. It, it, it's been great for, you know, group for Group D or whatever, for smaller nations to play competitive games against each other. I think it definitely... Well, I think it is. I mean, I, you know, I can't speak for the whole of football, but... I think it is, but I think the... And yeah, I saw we got some criticism after the last podcast for um, being sort of negative about international football. But it's not been negative about international football, it's been, been negative about this batch of games because it feels such a, such a bolt-on to kind of a, a season that's already been exhausting. And, you know, if, if we as, as journalists and fans feel this, this exhausted, how, how do players feel? And you, you could see even Southgate's selection. It, that wasn't a first-choice England team. That was a... And he himself said it. It was a... It was a half an England team plus a few he was trying out, and 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 you know he, he was giving players and probably more players than, than he'd like to get you know, yeah having a look at them, and by definition, if you're doing that, you're not taking it with 100 percent seriousness. So I, I sort of feel that the Nations League was great when it came in. That first year was great. I wonder if it spoiled it slightly by making it groups of four, not three. That that adds an extra fixture, well, extra two fixtures. I mean, I, I presume he'll try and avoid getting relegated, but if England do lose every game to, to Italy and Germany and, and Hungary, yeah, so what, really? I mean, they're, they're, they're good sides. If we're not putting out the first team, well, so be it. There's there's a quirk of, of international football, and James Justin is a great example of this, where someone who's clearly a very good footballer, who's actually been played out of position and plays 45 minutes, and people say, can he do the step up when most games he's playing are harder than playing Hungary but they sort of defi- decide the fate of international footballers on on that which I always find so sort of I find that so infuriating that decisions are made like that I and mean, clearly Gareth Southgate is, is smarter than that but he was sort of quite open about Justin struggling for that 45 minutes I know he was carrying an injury and Jared Bowen played okay didn't he uh, Troy we do have to talk about UEFA's Article 73. It, I wonder if it was worth writing 73 articles if the 73rd one is children aged 14 and under are allowed to go to games behind closed doors if accompanied by an adult. It is worth pointing out that England are using this loophole as well at Molyneux um, uh, for the game there after the stadium ban, after what happened in the final of Euro 2020, which is a different reason for a ban, but it's, it's still a stadium ban. I spoke to Henry Winter yesterday. He said, look, the, 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 the jeers when England took the knee were noticeable you know they were it wasn't sort of uh it wasn't like a cacophony but it was noticeable and that is mainly 14 year olds and under doing it which is pretty depressing the reason why uefa gave hungary um games behind closed doors one of which is suspended by the way was because their fans monkey charted at england's black players so let's put it into perspective they monkey charted at england's black players um, on more than one occasion. Um, they've done it before. They've done it again. They've crossed the line quite a number of times. And the best thing that UEFA can come up with is a new article that's only been in for a couple of seasons now um, to allow fans to still attend their games. Now, those fans, young, old, whatever they may be, 
will know about the last game against England in Hungary. Well, absolutely. If they weren't in the stadium, they would have been watching it on the TV. They have a privilege to go to a football match because their older fans as such have been racially abusing England's black players. What does anyone expect is going to happen at a moment when England are just about to take the knee? I, I don't know. You know what? And this actually is not about the fans. This is more about UEFA and their, their ripping up of a zero tolerance rule um, and then deciding that actually they're going to expose the players to a little bit more. Now, booing is not the worst thing you could ever do in the world, but it's the act of what they're booing at. Everyone knows why those, you know, let's compare it to Wales versus Ukraine. I don't know if you, well, Jonathan, you was in the stadium. Um, it seemed to me from where I was watching the game from that there was a real mutual respect as 22 players and maybe some on the bench as well took the knee from the stadium, um, which kept in keeping with the way that that game was going was gonna to play out and the way that that mutual respect continued right at the end with the Welsh in front of the Ukraine fans and everything else. Someone needs to get a grip here, whether it's FIFA, whether it's UEFA. I, I don't know, because I, to be honest, Max, I'm tired of continually talking about situations that actually develop even more because of a governing body. And that's what, what we're in. That's the state we're in now. They develop even more because a governing body decides to amend or, or you know, put in an article that allows that kind of thing that happened on, on Saturday afternoon to happen again. I mean, it's learnt behaviour, isn't it? from from teenagers who do it. And actually, you kind of think the way that would work out is like, oh, look, we can go to this game because they probably, lots of those children wouldn't have been able to go to the game. So like, oh, how come we get to go to this game, mum or dad? Oh, because, because the fans were racist. It's actually probably better if they go, how come we can't go to this game, right? How come this game is behind closed doors? Th th those are conversations that would begin if all those kids are watching that game on the TV um, and... They're saying, why is, why is there no one there? I don't know if you saw the, the, the comment from the Secretary of State of Hungary. Let me read it out. Anyone who thinks that children attending a football match in Budapest can be blamed for any kind of political statement is truly an idiot. Congratulations to our national team. Applause for the 35,000 kids. And then in his, um, this is a tweet, by the way, decided to at a number of prominent UK journalists. Um, and for me, that's almost the two fingers required from them to say, your wafer has allowed us to do it. Uh, the, found, the fans have the opportunity to boo if they want to boo because you over there in England have made this taking of the knee political. And yet everything, every message that has come out of the England change room who have been more proactive than most is about raising awareness, is about the fact that their black players continually um, are subjected to that kind of abuse. And, you know, they've distanced themselves from anything that anyone wants to says that say that Black Lives Matter, taking a knee, is a political movement within our sport. Within our sport. Um, but the ignorance, the ignorance around this all, you know, let's be serious. The ignorance has developed over many, many years. This is not about Black Lives Matter. This is actually almost not about taking a knee. This is about the way that if we're talking about international football, our English players of colour have been exposed time and time again and nothing has, has happened to protect those players on the field of play. I'll mention it again. They're going out to work. You know, they're, they're the entertainers. They're doing their thing on the field of play and they continually get punished for that. What I wonder, 
Jonathan, about sort of UEFA. You know, it's uh, sort of when we criticise governing bodies and we criticise everybody, you can't imagine that everybody that goes into work at UEFA or goes into work at FIFA, you know, is is blind to what is happening. And there are people who are trying to change it for good from within. And they must find it sort of infuriating that these decisions are, are made as well to sort of to sort of bend the rules to allow people in. I mean, it's hard when you see like kids enjoying a football match, your, your instant reaction is to go, oh, that's nice. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's a question there. I, I just, I, I, I sort of, I sometimes think, you know, do we need to be smarter about our criticism of, of governing bodies as, as to exactly who is making those decisions and why they're making those decisions? Yeah, I mean, you can see how this article was added, that they sort of, sort of thinking, well, yeah, is there any way we can turn this this kind of negative into a positive, and oh, maybe we can get kids to go and watch? And you can sort of see how, at a very superficial level, you might think that's quite a nice idea. Yeah, we we, we saw this uh, after Slavia Prague got the ban after the abuse of uh, Glenn Camera, and, and exactly the same thing happened. So you, you, we already know that this doesn't work. So yeah, I, I just I, I think you've got to remove that that article immediately because we know it fails. Uh, and then if your question is actually how can we get more kids watching football live, you've got to look at other things such as ticket prices and um, you know, whether whether you can give cheaper tickets to, to schools or, or whatever. But but they, they seem to have sort of shoved two issues together that, that, that it's just you know, created an, an additional problem. But I mean, in terms of UEFA and, and I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are good people at UEFA, but if this is a body that can't can't run the final of their own tournament that they've been doing for seventy odd years, sixty odd years, that, that that's a much easier thing than than this. And at the minute, they're just totally sclerotic and unable to to function. You have to think about the mindset of a group of people that come to that. So we're saying, you know, there must be good people at UEFA. Well, they're good people with, but with not enough power to to override decisions that are being made. Yeah. And you have to think about the mindset that you you would change the article, all right, to get young people in. As Jonathan says there, it didn't work. The Rangers players were booed much more than the England players, by the way. And every time a Rangers black player got on the ball, it increased. So you know that that's what you are setting those players up to to, to, to receive. So cross the article out um, and, and make it no more and make behind closed doors be behind closed doors. I don't know. I'm, I, listen, I'm not trying to give you away for a pass. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to think. How do we get the conversation to go further than just every time this happens, we just go, "Well, look, they're a bunch of idiots," etc. Do you know what I mean? They're just sort of, uh, and maybe they are, but you just sort of think there must be people. There must be people who love football who are involved in these. You know, there must be football fans who are involved in these organisations. And you're listen when you get to the top of FIFA. I suppose that's a. It's another question, isn't it? I mean, I would love somebody who ran a football a governing body to be to be to not want to be there to hand the trophy out, to go, look, that's nothing to do with me. I'm going to be in a back room. I'm just trying to make football good for football fans. You know, I occasionally daydream about running football. I might be shit, but at least I'd have like the right intentions, you know. Anyway, uh, on a less important note, great news for ITV that Channel 4 now have a 0% uh, win record uh, covering England. Mark Pugach swinging his shirt around <laughs> around his head, going, come on, we're, only the- <laughs> we're in second position now. Although, look, we did beat Germany, didn't we, on ITV? So, And maybe Denmark as well, I can't remember. Uh, anyway, um, uh, there were some other Nations League games. Uh, there'll be some more this week. Well, no, the, the, the two interesting ones uh, were uh, Austria beating Croatia 3-0 and, 
and the Dutch beating the Belgians 4-1, I think it was in the end. So it turns out that uh, maybe Ralph Rangnick and Louis van Gaal, maybe the problems were actually Manchester United and not them. <laughs> it's possible. That Belgian defence with you know, two 40-year-olds and Dedrick I Coyote. love that Belgian defence. It's going to be like that forever. Vertonghen Grand Alderweireld was there and one other. Yes, Troy? And didn't De Bruyne tell us that actually, you know, he wasn't interested he in care, playing yeah. in that game full stop. So the result really doesn't come as a surprise. But but yeah, um, yeah two 40-year-olds in defence, I do like that. Legends of the game that will remain legends forever, I think. And keep playing forever. Um, uh, who's going to who's gonna retire first, Broad and Anderson or Alderweireld and Vertonghen? It's hard to know, isn't it? Well, it's very clear who's playing better at the moment. <laughs> it's true. It'd be interesting, though, if they would play better playing centre-back for Belgium, actually. Uh, anyway, that'll do uh, for part two. Part three, we'll do any other business. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we're recording a special episode of Football Weekly featuring the experiences uh, from our LGBTQ plus listeners. Uh, if you are one of those, we want to hear about um, what football is like for you at the game, watching in pubs, traveling to and from matches, playing football, uh, very similar to the pub we did about the experience of women at football. Um, they can be negative, positive. They might have changed over the years. What we want is exactly what what you experience it, it makes the pod much better we'll be releasing it um uh, during uh, the month of pride in the uk which is this month which is june there'll be a link in the description of this episode i'll tweet the link out as well but um we've had lots of uh, lots of response to this so far we'd love to get more um so yeah do get in touch uh, well done to grimsby town back in the football league um uh, following one season in the National League. They needed extra time in all three of their playoff matches. And the way the playoffs are done in the National League, you know, if you come wherever it's seventh or eighth, whatever, you have to play three times to get there. So they did it the hard way. And uh, uh, a wonderful win for them against Solly Hull. Malcolm says, Hi guys, I love the pod. I never miss an episode. As a lifelong, over 50 years Forest supporter, waiting along 23 years, I was, shall we say, a little irked that your main concern post-promotion was seating arrangements and sandwiches. Uh, come on, all of you. You're better than that. We've all we've been down with the dead persons for a quarter of a century. Please make allowances for that. Perhaps we should... Bring in former player Roy Keane as our food consultant. All the very best. I look forward to hearing about us on the pod from August onwards. Uh, much love. Best regards to all of you. Brighten my week. Every week, Wilson, will you apologise? Will they apologise? <laughs> I mean, they're the ones giving me the sandwiches. <laughs> That's a very good point. We will, of course, cover Nottingham Forest in all their glory uh, when the Premier League season begins uh, in August. Uh, Wilson, uh, what's happening with Lewandowski? Year left on his contract, wants to leave Bayern, won't let him. What's going to happen? I mean, Bayern seem pretty militant about uh, forcing him to play out the final year of his contract. I mean, Uli Hernes, who's now, I think he's just honorary president, but still likes to stick his oar in. He was saying, well, we've seen this before with Lewandowski in his final year at Dortmund. He scored 20 goals. He's you know, an uber professional. Why would it be any different now? We don't need to sell him. Which just seems to me yeah, totally the wrong approach that... You're sort of punishing a player. 
for his professionalism, for for you know for for you know not throwing his toys at the pram and going on strike or whatever. Um, Lewandowski, I think personally feels pretty hurt by by Bayern's conduct. That he he came out for the final game of the season and said they haven't offered me a new an extension on the contract. They were also negotiating with with Holland and seems oddly confident they're going to get Holland. And now obviously they're, they're going after Sadio Mane as well. And he was saying, well, you know, they haven't they didn't tell me any of that. And at, at this age, I, you know, I, I need to be kept in the loop as to what my role at the club's going to be. And you think that after he's been there since 2014, he you know he probably does deserve at least to be you know a clear picture of what his future is. Uh, Hatton Salahamidzic, the, the sporting director. Who has a tendency to be clumsy in these matters? Sort of said, no, he did have a, a concrete offer. It's just his agent, sort of, which is Benny Zahavi, uh, stirring things up, and that's not right. Um, so the the phrase that was used by by somebody pretty close, Lewandowski, to to me was, um, they haven't lost the player, they've they've lost the man. So he he's desperate to get out, and he, he feels he's been pretty badly uh, dealt with, which is exactly what happened to Bayern with David Alaba and uh, Nicholas Sula as well. So it's a it's a ongoing Bayern issue that. Uh, I guess they've been so dominant in in Germany for so long, both in terms of winning the league and, and financially, that that they are able to be a bit um, less amenable to to to, to player wishes than, than other clubs. Troy, how's Andros getting on? Uh, he's away at the moment, so um, he, I think he's back. Yeah, he's back this week. He's obviously now on the process of recuperation, um, so he doesn't get much time off, and I don't think he'd want it. He, he needs to get back and make the knee stronger and. Um, you know, see where see where the season will take him, but it definitely won't be the first half, I would imagine. Right, and psychologically, I mean, it's such a, you know, it's it's incredible when you think about how short a career is, and and you know, to be out for such a long time, and a lot of footballers experience it. And I think fans, we we just sort of go, oh, they're doing rehab, without really thinking what that entails and quite how tedious it is and and how hard it is. Yeah, I mean, he's always said that he's never been a good patient and, you know, he just wants to get back out on the field of play. And I think the reality, obviously, of this injury is that getting back out on the field of play is going to be a long, long time away. Um, And mentally, that takes a massive strain on you when you have been active so much. And it's another part of, I suppose, being a professional footballer that you have to try and balance as much as you can. I've always said that he's a bit fortunate, but he's got a young family and he's always said now since the, the children have come that, you know, they've kind of taken away a lot of the stress and the strain of the game because they bring reality straight back, you know. They bring reality when you come home and, you know, his family are going to be massively important um, in the way that he, you know, deals with the the nature of the injury and, and hopefully comes back, um, you know, whether it's the end of the year or beginning of the new year. It's actually the same with the birth of Ian Rush, Den, that, that my perspective on the pod has completely <laughs> changed. It used to keep me awake at night and now I understand that, you know, life has more meaning than just four people on a Zoom call just talking nonsense and hopefully entertaining some people. Andrew says, if the Authors Cricket team is coming to our village for a match next Sunday, captained by Football Weekly legend Jonathan Wilson, do the panel have any advice for this lifelong Sunderland supporter to help minimise fanboy behaviour? Um, also, Max, we need an umpire. Uh, are you busy? I'm not. 
you know, the key with village cricket is as soon as the openers go out to bat, you go for a long wee because you just don't. Anyone do the first 10 overs? Oh, no, I just, just wasn't around. And then hopefully you're in by then. Um, Andrew is going to be a fanboy, Wilson. Do you, do you appreciate that? Do you want him to bring books to sign or should he just keep his distance? No, no, I'm, 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 I'm intending to do very little. Uh, I, my style of captaincy is not to bowl into battle 11 because it just makes things much much less complicated. But I've, I've, apparently I've got to give some kind of talk at the change of innings. So, uh, you know, sneak preview, if anybody wants it, I will be talking about uh, selective breeding in Argentinian cattle in the late 19th century. So something to look forward to. And football, like how the two relate to each other. Right, that's just what you want. All you want in between innings is a uh, Kipling's fondant fancy and a cup of tea, isn't it? And just one sort of egg and crest sandwich turned up at the end that was made about three weeks ago. But it, it, it can't be. It can't go as badly as my first match of the season, which was Saturday. Um, where the good news is I scored twenty eight percent of our team's runs. The bad news is we lost by ten wickets uh, and they had thirty four oh, overs well. to spare. Onwards and upwards, Wilson. Um, uh, You'd hope so. Yeah, uh, that'll do for today. Um, thank you uh, uh, to Ellis, who's currently at the dentist. Uh, thank you, Troy. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Pleasure, Max. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Cheers, thank you. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday after the uh, England-Germany game. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian. Thank you.